morning, church. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here with you today, and I appreciate so much uh, the pastor uh, giving up his pulpit on Sunday morning. That's not an easy thing to do for a pastor, and I appreciate that very much. And uh, it's just a joy to be back with you folks. We had a great time in uh, the Sunday school hour this morning. Got to actually show a few images of some of the projects and things that I'm personally involved with. But today is what we call Manna Sunday, the first Manna Sunday in your church, I understand. And so we're excited about that and anticipating what God's going to do. So if you were in the Sunday school hour, pretend you hadn't already heard this. And uh, if you were in there, um, then just pretend you haven't heard this, okay? <laughs> uh, just a couple of words about manna. You can go ahead and be opening your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. I'll get there in just a minute. I want to just tell you a couple of things about manna. Uh, MANA is a compassion organization based out of Fort Worth, Texas. It is going into its 17th year of existence. It was started by a man named Bruce O'Neill and his wife Pam, who were missionaries at the time in the Philippines. And over the years, MANA has expanded rather rapidly. Uh, what started off as just uh, two feeding ministries, today we have over 140 projects in close to 50 countries. And my neck of the woods that God's called me to, where I've been serving, is Eastern Europe. In uh, Ukraine, Romania, uh, Bulgaria, Albania, and those in that part of, uh, of uh, Europe. And so basically we have what we call nutrition centers where we feed hungry children. They live with their parents. They come to a, a, a feeding station to, to be fed. And at the same time, we share the gospel with them. We try our best to win them and their moms and dads to Christ. We have orphanages in a classical sense where there are maybe hundreds of children and caretaker staff and in other places we have family homes which is what we are model in eastern europe where we have house parents a mom and a dad and their own biological children plus uh, a certain number that they are able to take care of and and basically they are guardians of these children we showed some images in the last hour of some little girls uh, who came from some pretty rough situations but are now just thriving. I mean, they're in an amazing place and just responding so well to the love and the uh, peace that's in that home. And so that's what we do. We try to find a need and fill it, find a hurt and heal it in the name of Jesus. You know, one of the, somebody said, preach the gospel everywhere you can, every way you can, every time you can, everywhere you can, and if necessary, use words. Right? So we're preaching a message every day, you and me. Can they see Jesus in us? Because that's what they need to see. When they see your good works, Jesus said they will glorify your Father in heaven. And so manner worldwide is what we call a ministry of word and deed. You know, we, we understand that if we only go and feed people and give them medical treatment, but we don't share their, you know, meet their biggest need, which is a Savior, we've done them no favors whatsoever. Our goal is to see people come to know Jesus. And one of the powerful ways to do that is through compassion ministry. If we can feed their child, if we can help them in some way, we can encourage them along the way and then give us an opportunity to share the word of God. That's the word and deed. Put it together. It's dynamite. It's an, an incredible way to reach people with the gospel. So today, Manna Sunday, we are going to talk specifically um, a little bit about a, a project called Father's House. We showed some pictures again in Sunday school hour. If you missed those. I'm sorry you did, and maybe some other, you can look on my table, I've got some photos there of some of the kids and the, and the images there of uh, that particular project, but at the end of the services today, there's going to be an offering taken that's going to be designated to Father's House, 
and I'll tell you a little bit more about that perhaps later on, but I know that God has uh, brought us here together today in this, in this configuration, and He has a purpose and a plan uh, for each one of us, and I know that most of all, God wants our response to what we hear today and the moving of God in our hearts today, that whatever our response is, that it would bring glory to God. That's, that's what we're shooting for. So in Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus has been teaching. You know, this is in his teaching part of his ministry. And as he's teaching, he, uh, of course, there, there are always people who were interested. And then there were always a few who had an ulterior motive. And in verse 25 of Luke 10, it says, A certain lawyer stood up. Now, it wasn't an attorney lawyer. It was someone who's supposed to know the law, the book of Mo- the law of Moses, very well, be an expert. So he, he, he got up to ask Jesus a question. That says he wanted to tempt him. What he was going to do was he's going to ask Jesus a question. Hopefully, he would say something wrong so that he could accuse him of breaking the law. But Jesus, being God knew this in advance, and so he asked him a question, which is a good question. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a good question. In fact, if you haven't asked that question yourself at some point in your life, you should consider that, because when this life is over, there's only two possibilities, according to the scriptures. One is in heaven and glory with Jesus. One is in a place that's Well, not a very nice place, a place of torment and a place of no escape where the fire burns and the worm is not quenched. So he asked this question, and so Jesus answers him with a question, which is one of the things that Jesus often did. Verse 26, he said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And so he answers, verse 27, he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor is thyself. You know, when we read this parable, we're going to go into the parable of the Good Samaritan, but as we read this parable and we think about that statement, the great commandment and the second great commandment, to love God with everything we are, everything we have, and then to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. I mean, I'm working on that. And I'm sure you are too, but I haven't gotten there yet. Because the guy I see in the mirror every day, I kind of like that guy. I mean, I try to take good care of him as best I can. I was talking to my dad recently because, you know, our world's getting smaller. And technology is just, uh, just changing so many things and so quickly, so many things. I mean, I remember when email was a big deal. Now it's kind of passe, you know, it's just it's an old thing. And, but, I mean, the speed of communication and even even traveling and all kinds of things. And it seems like people are becoming more and more isolated, and that's by choice. You know, when people come home from work, they go in their house, they shut the door, they turn on the alarm, and then they don't want to be bothered anymore. I was talking to my dad about this, and I said, Dad, dad why, why? I mean, I think about my own neighborhood. I know two of my neighbors, and the rest of them, I never see them, or they never see me. So I asked my dad, I said, what's the deal? And he said, well, two things, television and air conditioning. And uh, that makes a lot of sense, you know. People just go inside, lock it, and they're, you know, they're done. But how can we, when we are, we are supposed to be 
ambassadors for Christ, when we are supposed to be representing the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when we're supposed to be telling others how can we communicate with our neighbor when we can't even get past the front door. And as we read this parable, it makes me, and I don't know about you, but it makes me a little bit uncomfortable when I read this, when I think about loving God with all my heart, loving my neighbors myself, I realize I fall so short of that. Paul wrote to the Philippians and he said this, Look not, this is Philippians 2.4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others also. And another way of saying that is don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand to somebody that needs it. That's the truth that this parable teaches. Now you know the story. And the question we want to try to answer today is, Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? And the answer may surprise you. So you know the story. And, get, and Jesus begins to tell this parable to illustrate um, the heart of men. So let's begin reading in verse 31. I'm going to read this quickly. You might need, there you go. Uh, it says, uh, By chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came, looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Underline that word compassion in your Bible, if you don't mind doing that. It says, And he went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and he gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come, I will repay you. So here's the thing. Guy is going down to Jericho, it says. He is jumped on by some bad guys. They beat him up. They kick him around. They leave him lying bloody in the dirt. They take everything of any value that he had. And as far as they know, they've left him to die. And then here comes three individuals with three very different um, approaches. As he's lying there, here comes a priest walking down the same road, and he sees the man over on the other side. And the Bible says that he passed by. He didn't go anywhere close to this guy. He was like, That's, um, I don't want anything to do with that. And he got as far away as he could. So I want you to think with me. Now, it's okay to say something out loud in church, okay, as long as we're talking to each other here. But I'm going to ask you a question, and I'll, anybody can respond. I want you to tell me one thing that was the priest's duties. We know the priest worked, you know, in the temple. And what was one thing that a priest was, that he did? Anybody, just say it out loud. Sorry? Yes. What's something else? Praying. What, what else did a priest do? Offered sacrifices. What else was a priest supposed to do? Preach. Preach. You're supposed to give the word of God. What else? Take care of the people. Okay, there's a lot of things. And here's, here's what happened. That's what this guy was supposed to do, and that's what he did. But to me, if I read between the lines, he was religious when it was convenient. You ever been there? You ever done that? Don't raise your hand. I have, regrettably. You see, who we are in our walk with God and who we believe God is to us, that is who we become to those around us. Does that make sense? 
I mean, our concept of God, if we believe God is kind and loving and full of grace and mercy, then that's the way we're going to treat other people. If we've experienced that grace from God, if we believe God is judgmental and, and angry, then that's probably the way I'm going to treat other people. Who my God is to me is who I will be to those around me. And so this individual, he, he was just like, you know, this, that's not my job. I'm, I'm supposed to do this in the church, in the, in the temple, and that's what I do. Of course, we know that faith without works is dead. And we know that when there are no good works, then something is wrong in here. So the next person that comes by is a Levite. Now, again, you can talk out loud here. It's, 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 it's permissible. Uh, I want you to know, tell me what the Levite, he saw the guy. He actually walked over and took a look, a little closer look. And then it says he... He left. What were Levites' responsibilities? Now, they worked in and around the temple. So what was one of the things that a Levite was supposed to do? Anybody? Sorry? Take care of the temple, right. What else? We don't know as much about them, most of us, about the Levites. They were like the manual laborers, okay? I mean, you think about it. They were offering sacrifices. They had to go get firewood. They had to haul in the the water to wash the animals. They had to clean up the animal carcasses. They had to do all that kind of stuff. Now, later on, when David was king, he included worship, singing uh, for the Levites. They were to provide that in the, in the services. So their, that was their job. They were to do those things. And so, again, reading between the lines, the Levite comes along. He sees a guy. He goes over and takes a good look. And he's saying to himself, that's not my job. That's not my problem. You know, I'm... I'm I'm cleaning the, you know, the temple up. I'm doing these things over here. So that's kind of like a lot of Christians today. You see, he, he did his job in the church, in the temple. I keep saying the church, in the temple because that was what he was supposed to do. That was his duty. That was his job. And there are some people who look at their Christianity and as their, their uh, commitment to Christ as being a duty. Now, I'm all about duty and doing the right thing. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying if our motivation for serving God or doing what we do for the service of God or in the service of God is based on I have to do this, this is my duty, rather than I believe this is what God wants me to do and my motivation is I want to be obedient to what God's telling me to do to minister and to help people. See the difference there? You see, the people who burn out are the people who, this is my job. I've been teaching first grade class for 44 years or 10 years or whatever. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. So this individual, it was his job. And, you know, there may be a few church members, maybe not in this church, who say, you know, I come to church, I give my tithe, and that's enough. Well, no, it's not. That's, that's a good start, but that's not what it's all about. Yes, you need to come to church. Yes, you should give, but there's so much more. And when we realize what God wants us to do, we then have a liberty that we've never experienced before as the Spirit of God directs us into a new way and shows us what to do. So we see this, these two, two guys come by. The guy's laying in the dirt. He's really injured horribly, possibly even near death. And nobody will help him, or at least the ones who come by. 
will not help them. When we think about helping people, who are we talking about? Again, we're going to answer the question, who is my neighbor? What about those in need? What about those outside our family? What about those that we don't even know their name? Are they my neighbor? What about others? I remember hearing a story from some of our, from some of the folks in Man. I've not been there myself, but they were telling me where that we have a fat man of feeding ministry in Mongolia, that's across the Gobi Desert, and the only way to get there is in a jeep. There are no roads. You have to have a GPS, and if you're only a few degrees off and you miss the town, you're going to be in big trouble. So they have this feeding ministry there, and back in the city though before they left, as they were driving around the town, the missionary was driving them through the city, there were these holes in the street, and the, the, the car, the guy kept just, you know, zigzagging around not to break a wheel off in these holes, and somebody asked him, well, why, why do they have holes in the middle of the road? He said, well, that's uh, the sewer system, that goes down in the sewer. He said, well, why don't they have a manhole cover? He said, well, they leave those off intentionally. Well, why would they do that? He said, they do that because there's so many children living on the streets that at night when the temperature falls below zero, they climb down in the sewer so they won't freeze to death. You think you got it tough at your house? We are really blessed in this country in so many ways. I remember going to Komarivka in Ukraine, just north of Kiev. We used to to go there pretty often, and we'd try to minister to some kids in an orphanage. They had about 200 kids in an orphanage, and the, the living conditions were not very good. I mean, at least they were, they were being clothed, they were being fed, but uh, it was not really, really good. They, the, the place was under-budgeted, and really nobody cares about orphans in Ukraine. The government, you know, they throw a little bit of money at it, but they really could care less. And these children could only change clothes and take a shower every 10 days. And it's not because they're being mean. It's just that they, they, couldn't, they didn't have enough workers to wash the clothing and, and get the water and all that stuff to be able to do that for them. It was so cold in the classroom that when the kids went in, they had to wear their heavy coat, their gloves, and their hat. And they just sit there shivering in class because they, wouldn't, they didn't have enough money for cold or heat. But you don't have to go to Ukraine or Europe, South America, or anywhere else to find people that are hurting. Because they're all around us. We know um, that James says that pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless, the orphan, and the widow. And our text, the text that you've been using the last few weeks, goes right along with that as well. How can we close our ears to the cries of the needy? So how do we know? Well, the next person that comes along is the Samaritan. And you know the story. He looks over. He doesn't just look over. He runs over to the guy and immediately begins to try to help him. He pours some medicinal things into the wounds, and he wraps them up as best he can. He puts them on his donkey and he takes him into the city, the nearest city, finds a place where the man can stay for a few days, pays for it, and he also promises when I come back, whatever else you know, he's used, or he's, I'll pay for it. And so he's, he's come. You see, here's an interesting tidbit. 
when the Jews were talking about who is your neighbor, they would say your neighbor is your fellow Jew. But in this parable that Jesus told, neither the priest nor the Levite would have anything to do with this fellow Jew who had been attacked and left for dead. They didn't even help one of their own. But you know the Samaritan, you know the, the differences between Samaritans and Jews? They didn't like each other. In fact, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They considered them half-breeds. There were a lot of reasons, a lot of things they didn't like about them. But in this, in this story, when this Samaritan came upon this man lying there, he didn't check to see what his nationality was, what color skin was, how much money he had, or anything else. He saw a fellow human in need, and he immediately had compassion on him. Compassion means is not the same thing as feeling sorry for somebody. Compassion means you feel so bad about it, you're going to do something to make a difference in this person's life. You know, we can feel sorry about all kinds of things, but it doesn't really help the person. Compassion is what motivates us to get involved. So who is our neighbor? Are we responsible for everybody that we come across? I looked at what Jesus did in his life. And, and let me again, you can, you can talk to me here a little bit. We know that Jesus healed a lot of people. In fact, maybe hundreds. We don't know exactly how many, but we know he healed a lot of people. But my question is, did he heal all the people in Palestine? No. We know that he fed thousands and thousands of people. But again, the question is, did he feed everyone in Palestine? answer is no. So what did he do? Well, as I looked at the life of Jesus, here's the principle that I came up with. There were uh, times that he was in immediate presence of someone who needed healing or, or some other miracle, or, uh, and so he ministered to them right there on the spot. There were at least two other times that I can recall when Jesus, somebody came, a messenger came and said, my, my, my servant is sick or my daughter is sick, and Jesus said, they're healed. He didn't even have to go there. So here's the principle I pull out of those, those two things. When, when God crossed his path with somebody that needed help, or when he became aware of someone that needed help, those were the ones that he ministered to. Does that make sense? And so I apply that to myself. Who's my neighbor? If I'm going somewhere and something happens, and I have an opportunity to be, a, and God intersects my path with somebody, and the Spirit of God speaks to me, says, Jerry, you need, to, you need to do something to help this individual. That's my neighbor. I may have never seen him before. I may never see him again. In fact, I was, I was driving a while back, going somewhere, and I came by, a, a, there was a car on the side of the road, and there was a kid, looked like a kid, sitting down at the back of the car. And I went by there, I was talking to my wife on the phone at the time, and when I went by, God spoke to me. Now, God didn't speak out loud. I'm a Baptist, I'm not sure I can handle that. But God spoke to me. And you know what I'm saying, you know when God speaks to you. Even if you don't want to hear Him, you know when it's God speaking to you. God spoke to me and said, Jerry, you need to help those people. Now, as a general rule, I don't pick up hitchhikers. I don't stop for people. I mean, there's very few times I will do that. So I, I said, I'm going to go do it. So before I even got turned around, I began to get paranoid. And I'm thinking, Jerry, what are you doing? I almost ripped that off. Are you, you think they might not just knock you in the head or, or do, you know, rob you? Or do, and so now I'm a little paranoid. So I call my wife, Ruth Mary. Now, Ruth Mary is my prayer warrior. 
And I called her. I said, look, I'm going to stop, and I don't know what's going on, but just pray for safety and, and all those kind of things. So she did. So anyway, long story, I get back there. Sure enough, it was a man and his son, and their car was dead. They just needed to jump. So I pulled my car around. We're jumping us off. We're talking a little bit. Found out they're both born-again Christians. They just came from church that morning. They're trying to get back home. And, and they've been sitting there for a while. And so I asked the little boy, I said, he was probably 11, 12 years old. I said, were you sitting behind the car uh, just a little while ago? And he said, yeah, I was. I said, well, what were you doing? He said, I was praying. I said, can I, can I ask you what you're praying about? He said, we've been sitting here for over an hour. And I was praying that God would send somebody to help us. Ten minutes of my time, maybe, if that. That was a divine appointment. You say, well, that, that wasn't much. I bet it was to them. And it didn't have to be me. It could have been you. It could have been somebody else. I'm just saying there are opportunities if we are aware of them, if we are open and we're listening to the Spirit of God, there are opportunities to be a blessing to people around us. So who's our neighbor? Well, I believe when God crosses our path or if we hear about somebody and we feel like God's leading us to help them, then we need to help them. I'm not saying you can solve all their problems, okay? And I'm not saying you can help everybody in the world. Not everybody's your neighbor. Not everybody's my neighbor. But there are some, for sure. So how do we be a good neighbor? Let me give you quickly five things, very simple things of how you can be a good neighbor. Number one, we have to get our eyes off of ourselves, and we have to see the need of the world around us. You know, it's hard. We're, we're pretty narcissistic in our society, you know. We, we just think we're pretty important, and sometimes we just can't see what anybody else is going through. But we need to have the heart of compassion. We need to see the way God sees, not from the external, but what's going on inside, and we need to try to help them. Now, some people tell me, say, you know, Brother Jerry, when you talk about little babies that have been suffering and have been abused and all this kind of stuff, say, I just, you know, I don't want to see that. I don't want to know about that. Well, Proverbs 21, 13 says, whoever stops his ears at the cry of the poor, he will also cry himself and he will not be heard. We don't have the option of saying, you know, I don't want to know about the suffering of the world. If Jesus loved this planet enough to die or the sins of the world, then maybe, just maybe, the church ought to care too. We need to get our eyes off for ourselves. <clears throat> Number two, we need to have compassion. Put yourself in their place. What if you were sitting on the side of the road? What if you didn't have food? What if your kids couldn't eat? What if you didn't have clean water to drink? Uh, Jesus wept several times with compassion for others. When's the last time you wept over the plight of somebody that was going through a rough time? You wept with them. Number three, we need to be willing to leave our comfort zone and say, oh, man, I knew he was going to get to that sooner or later. If you're going to help people, it's going to, it's going to disrupt your schedule. <clears throat> I'll be honest with you. It's going to take some of your time, some of your energy, maybe some of your money. But it'll be worth it. You know, we have our schedule, right? We have our routine, we have our agenda, we have our plan. Don't you think that the Samaritan, maybe he had some place to be? I mean, he was obviously a businessman, he's pretty well off. He may have been going somewhere to do a business transaction, but he said, you know, this guy's more important. 
I'm going to help him, and the business can wait. Some people are so busy that if we wanted God to speak to us, we'd have to, or the Holy Spirit would have to make an appointment about six months in advance. We need to allow God to lead us in a new direction. We need to listen to Him. Number four, we need to be willing to pay a price. You know, the Samaritan treated his wounds. He gave, the, uh, he took him to the end. He paid that. He's, he, 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 in fact, I think he was committed to following through to the end. That's number five. And that was, I think that this Samaritan was going to do everything in his power to restore this guy pretty much to where he had been before this calamity happened to him. Because he was in it for the long term. So who is your neighbor and what can you do? How can you help him? When God crosses your path with somebody, if you're listening, and he says you need to help, then whatever it takes, you need to, you need to make yourself available. If you hear about some need and God touches your heart and says, you know, maybe you could do something to help that person, then you should do whatever God opens your heart to do for them. Now, the parable is symbolic, obviously. The one who was lying there dead and dying, and then the, that, represents, that represents us. You know, we were dead in trespasses and sin before we knew Christ. The Samaritan, the one who sacrificed to restore us is Jesus. And that's what he does. That's what he's done for us. And he empowers us to be able to help others in the same way. Now, the last thing I want you to see is the attitude of those who, who passed by this, this person. Three attitudes about compassion. Number one, the thieves, their attitude was what's mine, uh, what, what's yours is mine, I'm going to take it. The priest and the Levite, their attitude was, what's mine is mine, I'm going to keep it. The Samaritan's attitude was, what's mine comes from God, and I'm going to share it. Three attitudes about compassion. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a compassionate God, that you love us and you sacrifice for us. And that even the small things that we don't even need or deserve, oftentimes you bless us with. Help us to lift our eyes above our own problems, our own life, and our own situations. And help us to see those around us through your eyes. That when you give us opportunity to represent you well, that we will be faithful. That we'll be attentive. We will listen as your voice speaks and that we will obey in doing what you require of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.